Hello and welcome to the Stacked Podcast, brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams, hosted by me, Harry Gollop. Stacked with incredible content from the most influential and successful data teams, interviewing industry experts who share their invaluable journeys, groundbreaking projects, and most importantly, their key learnings. So get ready to join us as we uncover the dynamic world of modern data. Today, I'm joined by Andrea, the lead analytics engineer at Clio. Clio are the leading personal finance enabler. They use cutting-edge AI to help you manage your finances effectively. Andrea talks about how analytics engineering is driving quality, velocity, and valuable data to Clio. He speaks about their latest projects to achieve this and the challenges they have had to overcome. He talks deep around their use of LLMs and how they use this to enable themselves, as well as going into their best practices around data modeling. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Andrea. It's great to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing? Thank you. Yeah, all good. Recently back from Italy, so enjoying the UK weather during the heat wave. You've brought the heat back with us, but we are, we're sitting in a quite heavily AC Leo offices, but they are very nice. Today, we're obviously going to be speaking about your journey into analytics engineering as as well as what analytics engineering is to Clio and how you guys are driving value for Clio and, and some of the projects you've worked on. So really keen to, to dive into them. But first off for the audience, could you just give us a nice sort of overview of, of yourself and, and Clio? Yeah, sure. So I'm Andrea. I lead the analytics engineering team at Clio. I joined in January uh, this year. As you can probably guess by the accent throughout the interviewing, I am Italian. I'm actually from Sicily, which is the best nice. part of Italy in the in the south. Nice lemons. Very. Lemons, oranges, nice fruit, weather, sea. <laughs> so yeah, who's listening to this podcast, go to Sicily for sure. Your next <laughs> holiday next year. So at Clio, we try to empower people to build a life beyond their next paycheck, Clio is an AI assistant, which now, of course, is great with all of these uh, LLMs bubble going on. But Clio actually started way back in 2016, so we are actually well positioned in the market from before. What we try to do is focus on personal finance and make personal finance uh, into a fun conversation, which is more or less the same kind that you would have with a friend, but with our very nice chatbot. And apart from that, we give people some tools to improve their personal finance knowledge and situation. Amazing. That's uh, great. I mean, obviously, with AI exploding in the last year, uh, many organizations are obviously running to get on projects and, and implement AI in their organization. But it sounds like Clio is uh, hardened to the space and been doing it for years. Yeah, and we were very lucky. Or our CEO, Barney, was very smart <laughs> a couple of years ago. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it's uh, a bit of both, but um, really keen to dive into, I suppose, more about your role and, and how you're impacting the wider mission at, at Clio. So how did you get into analytics engineering and, and what is it about analytics engineering that attracted you to the space? It'd be great to understand your journey here so far. Yeah, actually, my, my master's was way more focused on data science and machine learning. So when I started my career, I started at the zone. I was actually hired as a data scientist working in the product area. 
data scientist maybe was the wrong job title because actually it was kind of like a mix between a data scientist and a product analyst. So I was doing kind of like reporting, dashboarding, and also some modeling, like clustering, uh, some predictive analytics for uh, the product, for product optimization. But then effectively 60% of my time, I was cleaning data, transforming data, to then use that data to generate insights. And that was actually the part that I liked the most. So at some point, after let's say like six months in that role, we realized with my manager at the time, with Luke, that there was a gap in the company of consistency of clear and good quality data that was just simply not there. So basically what was happening is that different teams, AI analysts, data scientists, product analysts, even product managers sometimes, they were getting raw data, they were applying their own transformations business logic, and then they were creating dashboards. But of course, all of these transformations, all of this business logic was not consistent, was different, naming conventions was not a thing. Uh, SQL queries were often very badly written, not efficient. So there was a lacking of consistency and a lack of organization within the kind of like transformation bit. So we saw that gap, we entered, and we actually started the A team. We were three at the beginning. There was actually not many, but then in a couple of years, we were 15, 16. And at that point, we were actually doing the full ELT process. So for me, the best part of analytics engineering is actually trying to be in the middle and talk to business stakeholders, technical stakeholders, and try to kind of like bridge that gap which at the zone was there and it was big. So that's why I got into it. Brilliant. It's something we see so often. Organizations lack a data modeling strategy and it can cause huge amounts of, of data debt, right? Um, when everyone is off doing their own thing. So you, you've noticed that gap and built out a, a standardized function which could manage and, and empower everyone else that wanted to model and, and, and use their own data, you gave them the framework to do that, correct? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Well, that's um, great to hear. So data modeling has always been around. It's always been essential to surfacing data. Why do you think in the, the rise of analytics engineering has happened so quickly within the industry? And why do you think data modeling has equally sometimes taken a, a back step up until, up until now? I think that for two main reasons, I would say. So the first one is that data-driven, a data-driven culture, it's now becoming a thing, really. So a couple of years ago, being data-driven, it was more, I think, more like a buzzword, like people wanted to be data-driven, but they were not really. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know what it was, exactly. So they were trying to make a decision and then justify that decision with data after, and then maybe bending the data to fit what they decided. Whereas now in the industry in general, there is more of a correct approach to use data before actually making the decision without that bias. So I think that there is more of a demand for data products. And in this case, basically, you have more analysis, you have more data analysts that spend more time actually trying to create insights, which means that there is a way greater need to have that clean data. So you don't just need data that was there five years, six years ago, but you need clean data that is ready to be analyzed by someone. So that's the first thing. And then the second reason I think is that we now have 
way more data. So we always had data, but now data is collected literally everywhere. So almost if you breathe, you're generating data. Every time that you look at your phone, you're generating data. So now data is more and it's more complex. So before, I think that even a data analyst, product analyst, data scientist, whoever could just get the data and with it, whereas now the transformation process is way more complex. So that is why you need a dedicated figure that can talk with business stakeholders, but can also understand the technical side of things to actually make something that is usable. Yeah, that makes sense. When there's added complexity, you need that increased sort of segregation and specialism in, in roles. And it's funny seeing that journey, isn't it, of, of job titles. Job titles, I think, are sometimes a bit of a bum steer on responsibilities. You mentioned, obviously, your, your first role as a data scientist slash analyst slash analytics engineer. These skills tend to be piled into one, but now as we gain in complexity, they're segregated out. Yeah, it just, back in the days, like five years ago, data scientists looked very cool. So of course, people were calling themselves data scientists. Now, analytics engineering, it is cool. So we have more analytics engineers. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's uh, people are, uh, are flooding to the space. I think you get people, you know, coming from your background as a data scientist, you get data engineers who are, are coming sort of closer to the business, definitely the, the topic of the current sort of era. Okay, so, Data teams more than ever in the last year have really had to justify their costs due to the macroeconomic situation. As a new discipline in analytics engineering within the data space, how do you approach measuring success for both yourself and your team and, and the value that you're creating? So that is a very good question, and I don't really have a very good answers. <laughs> However, when we're going to post this podcast, if someone in the comments have a good solution, that would be great. We can implement it here. What we're doing now, which I think works, but it's not, is we treat analytics engineering as basically a normal product squad. So we follow the OKR frameworks, which is objective and key results. So we work in, uh, in terms of Clio, so four months, basically. At the start of the term, we sit down with the team, we sit down with our stakeholders, and we try to understand what we want to focus on for the, for the remaining of the term. So we basically just set objectives. After we set those objectives and we explain the rationale of those objectives and we explain why they're relevant for the business, we set metrics for them. We create reports to track those metrics and we have basically targets that we want to achieve. And then throughout the term, we monitor how those metrics are going. And at the end of the term, we report if we hit all of those metrics or not, basically. Which is not perfect because it's difficult to translate what you do in data modeling, data optimization to a revenue number. But it's the best proxy that we have for now. Yeah, I think it's a problem that many teams are facing in terms of that actual quantifying of a number. I, I think it, one of the drivers of that is because an analytics engineer is, is more of a support role. You're supporting downstream needs, which then has, I know that some people measure, you know, how, what an analytics engineer, what models are they powering and, and what is then the return on whatever the, the product is. That's one way I've seen of, of quantifying it. Yeah, we, we did try that, uh, but we didn't necessarily like it because we don't do data modeling only. So data modeling is one part of it, but we do much else. We do a lot of platform, for example, maintenance. So like data modeling is just, let's say like a part of it. So we wanted to have something a bit more inclusive, I would say. But yeah, that is, that could be a good yeah. way. 
Yeah, I think there's no one size fits all, is there? There's a lot to encompass. So you obviously mentioned that your analytics engineering team does more than modeling. So Cleo, can you give some context to the audience as to what your data function looks like? Um, some of the key technologies that you guys work with at Clio and what you look to achieve as a data team as a whole. And then I think we'll dive into specifically more around your team. Yeah, sure. So at Clio, data team is actually very big. Like, I don't know exactly the ratio between data people and employees, but it's way greater than whatever else at work, which is great because Clio is a, it's a data-driven company at the end of the day. Because of course, like we're a fintech company, but we do work with data. Also like the product itself, it generates insights for our users. So like the data component is there and it's like super it's important. It's to the product. Exactly. So we do have three main data positions. We have data scientists, but the data scientists are more of a product function on their own. So they do data modeling, they work on product features effectively. We do have a product analyst at Clio, they're called AXs. And basically what they're doing is kind of an intersection between a data scientist and a data analyst. So they do modeling, they do some clustering, for example, they do a lot of A-B testing, but they also do reporting uh, for main OKRs and features. They are embedded into every squad. So at Clio, which is super interesting for me, is when a product squad is deployed, in the squad there is always a data analyst, or a product analyst in this case, which is great because everyone is then forced to be data-driven. And then we have analytics engineering, which is uh, what we do. We're going to explain in, in a second exactly what we do, but we do kind of like the ELT framework. We look after the ELT framework. And then we do have data engineers, but at Clio, data engineers are more DevOps, data platform engineers, really, than normal data engineers. Uh, because we, as AEs, we do the ingestion, sometimes with five training stitch, sometimes with custom ingestions where, where we can. And the data engineers, they do some ad hoc ingestion, but it's way smaller than kind of like the full-on ingestion piece that we work uh, on at Clio. And then in terms of the second part was what we do, what we're going to do as a data team. Yes. Right? Okay. So what we're going to do as a data team, then like now there is a lot of um, a lot of movement in the LLM space as everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so we are kind of already a chatbot, which is great as a product. So I think like improvement to our own product to make it like even smarter, that is more kind of like the data science bit. Also, we're trying to include the LLMs and new technologies even internally. So for example, we're, we can talk about it later, but we are creating tools to automatically suggest SQL code or descriptions for YAML files. So we're trying to kind of like leverage as much as we can this LLM technology. And then the other thing is be kind of like smarter, faster, generating new insights for people so that Clio can be even more data-driven. Perfect, perfect, that's brilliant. And you mentioned obviously how you've got this sort of embedded model. Is, is that sort of a hub and spoke style model? Where is that what you would, I suppose, name it as? So that's an interesting point. So at Clio, we have the product analysts and they're embedded, full on embedded. So like they, they attend the stand-ups of the squad, they leave the squad day to day. Whereas analytics engineering now is a, is a central team. So we sit central in this kind of like horizontal pillar and we support all the squads and all the access. So it's basically AE and platform centralized. And then we have 
the product analyst embedded and the data scientist their own squad. Their own squad. Basically. Okay, perfect. Well, look, that's with a data analyst, by the way, of course. Yes. Inside the squad. Yeah, yeah no, that that makes sense. I think it's so important, isn't it, to have at least uh, one team of your data professionals embedded because you need to be connected with the business and that it makes that flow of communication much much smoother. So let's dive into your team. So analytics engineering, what are the responsibilities of your team? What's the remit and leading on to what's the overriding goal of your team? Yeah, so the overriding goal is basically to have high quality data every day without breaking redshift. That is the goal. <laughs> and spoiler alert, it did happen sometimes. It's not anymore because we fixed it. But yeah, so like our goal effectively at the end of the day is to try and empower uh, decision making with high quality data. That is what we try to do. We recently went to this exercise that I would actually recommend to all the teams, all the data teams of actually trying to formulate a team mission and a team vision, uh, almost treating the team as basically a, a startup, which is actually quite interesting because it puts you in the right mindset and it forces you to define priorities for your team. We did write an article about it, so... We'll put a link in the comments. Exactly, go and have a read. But yeah, so effectively, what we want at the end of the day is to try and ensure equal access to rich, accurate and reliable data and we want this to drive impactful analytics, basically, and fast decision making. So the components of that statement is that we want data that is reliable. So let's say 8 a.m. every day, data needs to be there. Uh, it's accurate, so no bugs. We actually understand the bugs before they happen. We don't, but effectively, we would like to. Um, and we want the data to be reliable, so it's, it's, it's there always. And why we want that? Because the analytics that needs to be generated from that data needs to have an impact, it's impactful. And that is also why we work so closely with all the other uh, data teams, so that what we do is actually used. It's not just sitting there uh, in a corner of Redshift that is dark, it's the corner of the room, but it's actually <laughs> queried, it's useful. People are getting value uh, out of it. And uh, so how do we do all of that? We try to provide a single source of truth for the data, so basically all the PRs that are raised uh, against our, our DBT repo, we are aware of it, we have a look at it, we know what's there. So we tend, and at clear we're actually quite good at it, like we tend to have very clean data set that are used in a bunch of places that are consistent. So it's very difficult, it's very rare for Clio to have people getting different results, basically for, from the same question. We try to create a great analytical experience for everyone. So we work closely with product managers to understand how they're using our BI tools. We try to optimize them for performance. We also try to make it as easy as possible for, pre for people to contribute to DBT as well, because we realize that it's also important for other data professions to actually work with us directly in, in the repo. And then effectively, what we do at the end of the day is again, just take ownership of the ELT framework. So we ingest, we transform data, and then when it's ready and it's beautiful and it's perfect, then we, we give it to... Whoever needs it. Yeah, whoever needs it. And then the other piece of it is more on the platform side. So for example, like we, in partnership with the data engineers, we make sure that Redshift works. Basically, it's not slow. 
So we work a bit on like back-end optimization, how to use sort keys, distribution keys, how to optimize concurrency, for example. We make sure that all of our tools that are connected to Redshift, they are not overloading the data warehouse. We play around with a lot of configs. We connect all the different tools together. So we do a bit of that data platform as well. Very nice, very nice. That's a good overview. I think it's clear that communication is always key to making sure what you're building is relevant and also being used and used to drive value at that. One thing would be great to cover as well is you mentioned obviously Redshift, DBT. What's the wider tech stack at Clio? What tools are you utilizing as part of your data platform? Yeah, so Redshift and DBT are, I would say, the main one. Sometimes they can have a difficult relationship compared to like dbt and snowflake dbt and redshift you need to be creative sometimes to make things work which is frustrating on one side but very interesting on the other side you need to be resourceful so for example we create like custom materialization to solve the reliable isolation error which was like a big big piece of work that i did when i was here but yeah of course dbt and redshift and then and then we have count which is um, basically, I'm not sure if you know it, but yes, it's... Yes, yeah, I've heard, listened to Taylor speak at the Analytics Engineering Meetup about it. It's a very interesting talk. It's, it's very nice because it's basically a Maro board on steroids with like SQL and Python embedded. They did actually, they are doing a very good job integrating with dbt as well. I don't think that is out as we speak, but it probably will be when we hear this episode. So have a look at it. It's, it's very nice. You can connect your dbt core to it and you can basically import models into count and see them visually and kind of like debug it. So we use count as our, we call it EDA tool. So it's basically a tool for us, but also everyone else to explore data before the actual modeling bit. And then I think that's it. That's the main four in nice. the kind of like data space. Yeah, that's great. That's a nice nice overview for people to understand what you're really working with. So moving on, Andrea, to really, I suppose it'd be great to unpick some of the initiatives and the projects that you guys are working on, because it sounds like you, you've got a great data culture here at, at Clio. Your analytics platform is, and your team is designed uh, surfacing the high quality data. So. Talk us through some of the projects and initiatives that help you achieve this goal. Yes, uh, one of the main things we realized, I would say like around six months ago, is that, so there are never enough A's, but we were not enough in this case, because <laughs> we did have a lot of very good data analysts that were asking for a lot of data modeling, but not enough uh, A's. So we basically needed to figure out a way to kind of like basically came up with more A's without hiring. That was interesting, that was challenging. So the, what we realized is like some of the more time consuming part of our day to day was sometimes reviewing PRs. So we tried to automate a way to make that quicker for us and also for the analysts as well when they push things to our, to our repo. So what we do is basically every time that someone raises a PR, we have two GitHub actions, for example, they score the PR. So they score based on two things. One is dbt. We check things like, is there a YAML file? Are there descriptions in the YAML file? Are all the columns from your SQL in the YAML file? Did you test? Did you, did you respect all our coding standards, all of our SQL fluff, for example, that we have implemented? So that's the first part of the checks. And that is important because now we don't really need to look at the PR. So that 
first pass is automatic, and then if it fails, then the kind of like data analysts they go back, they fix it, and then they release it again. And then the second bit, which is also important, is around the SQL itself. So sometimes, especially in Redshift, you need to make sure that your SQL is on point and you don't do inefficient queries. So what we do is we grab the execution plan of the model that is being pushed, we understand it, and we apply penalties. So for example, if you have specific operations that are very expensive, we flag it, we give you a penalty, and we explain how you can improve it. Now, of course, getting a score of 100% is almost impossible because you will always have some minor inefficiencies, and sometimes the inefficiency are actually unavoidable. Let's say that you want to explore the table based on a JSON array, you need to basically do a cross-join. Cross-join is a big no, usually, and that is like we'll have a penalty of like 40 out of 100. Sometimes you just need to do that, and so we leave it in. And we basically have a lookup table based on the penalty, what you can do to fix it. So those are like the first automatic like checks and improvements that you do. And then on the other side, we also try to make it easier for people to deploy in dbt. So we have, for example, a script that when you have a model, it creates a YAML file uh, for you, and then it calls actually um, an online LLM to get the descriptions as well. So basically, we have the model and we give you a best hint, let's say, on descriptions, and then you can decide if you want to keep them or, or change them. But at least you don't need to write all the columns and you don't need to write all the descriptions. Because sometimes, like, created that, it's always the same description. You don't need to type it in, just give it, give it to you. And what we're trying to work on now is kind of like being proactive on the SQL set as well. So like when you're writing a model, we are developing a tool that kind of like checks the SQL for you and automatically changes it to something that is more efficient. And of course, you can choose if you want to keep it or not. Amazing. That sounds like a great project for automation and building out the frameworks for everyone else to increase the velocity in which they can do work and trying to remove some of them, them blockers whilst also having... I suppose governance to, to your best practices, that's definitely one I think people can listen to and, and take some advice on, on, on implementing them sort of tests and that structure themselves. So are there any other areas which uh, are at the, the forefront of work at the moment? Yeah, in terms of analytics engineering, the other thing is actually to improve our documentation because, of course, like in the agile type of like manifesto, the documentation is kind of last. But now we're at a stage where it's becoming a limit. So we're actually doing our best to document as much as possible. We are running a lot of training sessions for people in the business to improve their SQL skills, their DBT skills, their Git skills, to kind of make them as much involved in the data modeling process as possible. And then, of course, there is this big push on LLMs, both in our internal use cases and on, on the product. Nice. Amazing. Amazing. Well, look, all of these projects are geared towards increasing the speed, the reliability, the quality of the data to the business. Why is all of this so important to your data culture at Clio? I think like Clio is the company that I've seen with like the best uh, data culture. Some of it, I think it's because our founder, uh, Barn is an ex-data scientist. So, of course, that is a big push if it's coming from the boss. One of our main values is learn at speed, which is a more inclusive version of the original one, which was iterate through data, which kind of like let you understand that 
data is basically central at Clio. If you're making a decision at Clio, is backed by, by data. We do uh, a lot uh, of A-B testing. We do a lot of analysis when we deploy features. So it's actually super important for people to want to have data. And in this context, try to have data fast is basically number one priority. So let's say that you want to deploy a product feature. You want kind of like data-driven decisions happening, yes, but you also want them very fast, which is also why a lot of the work we do is around optimizing time to insights. So we want to get that time as low as possible so that the product like Clio itself can move very fast, but still being data-driven because that's the trade-off usually. Because if you want to be super data-driven, sometimes you're moving slow. So we want to try and kind of like optimize that. Yeah, yeah. So it's that trade-off between speed and the data insight that, that, that you can give the, the business and, and you guys trying to reduce that gap as, yeah. as, as small as possible. Okay, very interesting. Well, the podcast is all about... I suppose, hindsight perspectives as well and, and some of the biggest challenges that you've come across and, and helping the community with their journeys. So in your time in Clio so far, what's been the biggest challenge and how have you overcome it? I think we had a few challenges. I would say like when I started Redshift DBT, we did have some issues there. I think trying to be creative and kind of like solve those problems that were not kind of like common knowledge yet that was a challenge Clio is again very fast paced so like make sure that really every day 8am you have your data was a challenge at the beginning and I think like the though the kind of like most difficult challenge at the beginning was that we were not enough A's so like we had to be creative in trying to optimize our time to basically support uh, support everyone but yet and now we are in a, in a much better place so the next challenge now is actually make a fun for everyone. So like we want the kind of like analytics engineering mindsets to be a fun part of everyone's job instead of, oh no, okay, I need to deploy this model, but now I need to spend hours trying to do all of this by the book. We, we, we want to make it like uh, nice. Fun, enjoyable. Fun. Yeah, people are enjoying their work and, and the work that you guys need them to do, then uh, yeah, it makes it, better for them but also uh, best for you because if they care about what they're doing hopefully the, the quality follows as well. So Andrea that's a, a great summary of data at Clio, some of the projects you're you're working on and, and even what's next for you guys but as, a, as an industry and as analytics engineering as a sector what are you most excited about and, and what's next for us and the community? Yeah I'll give you three bullet points because Everything is better with three bullet points, I would it say. <laughs> so I'm going to say one last time and never going to say it again for the, at least for this podcast. <laughs> so the first thing is going to be, yeah, LLMs are going to be everywhere, which is nice because I think that people will spend less time trying to solve technical problems and they're going to be spending more time trying to be creative and solve problems in a creative way, which for me is great. So like... Having used ChatGPT, it really revolutionized the way I work. We are lucky enough that Clio sponsors the ChatGPT account for, for the company. So the, the way you work is just totally different. So before I was spending my time trying to get the first 80%, basically. And then I didn't have much time to be creative and find new ways. Whereas now 
you have a problem you've never seen before, you get 80% ChatGPT, which is going to be wrong and it's not going to work, but at least then you can focus your time to that very important 20%. Perfecting that last bit. Which for me was, was great uh, to see. Second bit is probably going to be this semantic layer, DBT is releasing theirs. I think analytics engineering did amazing in getting like that standardization, but we still need that missing piece. I would say. That single source of truth in definitions and yeah. having that across the business. That is, I think that is still not 100% there at Clio, but in, in most businesses. So I think that we are, the kind of like a community are really looking forward to understand if we can use the semantic layer. We are looking at it potentially to implement uh, probably next year. So that's going to be a big trend. And then I think there is going to be also a trend in BI. Uh, I think there is needs to be uh, some sort of revolution in the way we actually do business intelligence. I'm not sure yet where, but I'm pretty sure that this kind of like new excitement around chatbots, it will spread to, to BI. I think that Tableau is trying to do something similar. Of course, we have ThoughtSpot that does, again, something similar. So I think there's going to be some interesting development there as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think obviously self-serve bi was kicked off by by looker and in that's what's really driving these uh, data cultures now is, is putting data in the hands of the business and business people most of the time don't understand sql so if they can naturally ask a natural language question and, and get data driven results i think that's a really powerful future i know there are tools already um, that are looking to integrate that um, like like delphi so um well andrea it's been great to have your insight into what analytics engineering is at, at Clio and some of the projects that you're working on and the challenges that you've overcome. I think there's some really interesting points for some of the uh, community to learn from um, and, and helping in automating their, some of their analytics engineering processes. So that brings us to the, the final section. The final section is uh, a quick fire round of questions. Um, it's something we ask all our guests. It is really just to help the community and the listeners is to understand and help themselves further in their careers. So the first question is, how do you assess a job opportunity in your career and how do you know it's the right move for you? I think that that's actually a very good question. I do always the same four things. I'm not going to give you three bullet points this time. I'm going <laughs> to go with four. Oh, one more. I think like first because I work in AE and like in data generally, of course, the first step is to gather as much data as possible, like gather as much information as possible. There is not only quantitative information, but also like talk to people, like go to LinkedIn, reach out, try to see if you have any common connections, try to see if you can get someone to give you some an, an, an idea at least, get like the vibe of the company you're trying to join. So that's that's the first bit. Then I always tend to try and talk to the same set of people that I trust, that you know that they're actually going to advise for your best, <laughs> for objectively, because of course, like the company you're leaving, hopefully will try to keep you. The company you're trying to join, they will try to get you. So it's like nice to have someone that is outside. And I try to talk to people I trust, which is not necessarily data people. Like I talk a lot with, with my uncle, for example, which is not a data person. I tend to talk, for example, with my mom. I talk to, to my partner, for example. And then, of course, to some of like 
my network of data friends that I that I tend to trust. Your recruiter as well. My recruiter. <laughs> I talk to Harry as well, of course. Trust your recruiter 80% of the time, I say. <laughs> It's, it's easier to it's easier to trust when uh, it's uh, when it's again coming to external. I've I had quite a few people recently come, nothing to do with uh, any of my roles, but looking for for advice. I think you're right. You should talk to people that aren't necessarily in data. But I think the key to that is making sure that you've got all of the information because then you can effectively speak with that person and tell them you know, the good points, the bad points, and then they can give you a, a good answer. If you don't have that information, then it's really hard for someone else to, to give you advice. So that would be something I'd add to make sure throughout the interview process, you're asking questions to get the answers that you need. And that is actually a very good point. Like another thing that I would try and, and do is just ask relevant questions like when it's your turn to ask questions during an interview don't just ask stuff that you can easily google like try to really optimize those five ten minutes that you have to learn something around the company i think like good questions that i get from candidates are the questions where i'm not actually sure about what to answer and that is a very good question whereas like sometimes people ask you what are like the values of clio and just google that and, and you will know like don't waste those 10 minutes because they are super important i would say for yeah choice a hundred percent the the questions and, and that knowledge is what you're going to go off of to make your decision so if you haven't asked the right ones then how are you going to know but equally i think asking the right questions can impress an interviewer um you know if you're looking to understand their pain points their challenges what life's going to be like how they've overcome them challenges yeah. in the past that's the the type of stuff that's going to be of interest yeah so actually i'm gonna say something that is a spoiler like the questions at the end of the interview for me it is still part of the interview like if someone is asking nice questions then it's like a plus for sure yes yeah well that brings us on nicely nice segue to best piece of advice for someone in an interview yeah so like to ask questions that are relevant. (laughs) Uh, Try to be real as much as possible. Like I always appreciate people that you can tell are having like an honest and nice conversation, especially, so of course this is like more difficult on the technical interviews. For example, clear we do live coding. And of course you can be tense. It's not easy to be yourself when you're like coding, you're like under stress, but especially when you're meeting stakeholders or especially in the first interview, uh, when we do like the introduction to the our like head of like introduction to me as the area managers the first interview, try to be as real as possible. Don't pretend to be someone else. Don't answer like in a structured super rehearsal way. If you want to have notes, fine. Don't read them. Like if you get the impression someone is reading is always like a bit weird. I think. Yeah. And then, which is the best advice, like try to enjoy the interviews, like try to get them as an opportunity to learn, especially like the live coding interviews that sometimes can be very stressful. Try to put you in the mindset of this is an exercise that I'm trying to solve with the interviewer and needs to be a nice half an hour, a nice hour of my time. And if I don't know, I don't know, we can figure it out together. So it's not like me staring at you while you code and judging you, but it should be like, okay, so we are in this together. Let's try yeah. to optimize this one hour that we have. I think that's great advice. I think, especially on the the coding interviews, people put a lot of pressure on themselves. And 
really it's just for the interviewer to see how you guys are going to work together and you know data more than I think many industries is all about problem solving so how you can approach that and how you're going to do that in the real when you accept that role it's a, it's a good indicator so final question if you could recommend one resource to the audience to help them upskill what would it be I think that is full of very nice resources still now like it's full of amazing courses on Udemy or whatever other uh, type of um, online uh, platform I think that my advice would be before you actually buy something like before you buy a course just have a look at the documentation of the thing that you're trying to learn which is free and it's usually sometimes better than the course and it gives you like a very good understanding so my advice would be you want to learn something new perfect just read the documentation of what you're trying to learn and then if you really like it and you think that you don't have the time to read everything just buy your course just try to optimize that perfect well um andrea it's been a pleasure to have you as a guest uh, i've thoroughly enjoyed our, our conversation um and the uh insight into what analytics engineering is at, at clio so yeah thanks again for, for your time Thank you. All very good questions, like an interview. <laughs> Crazy. Well, hopefully it was uh, a bit more relaxed than, uh, than an interview. Um, but yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you as a guest and uh, I'm sure it'd be great to, to have you on again in the future. Thank you. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I really hope you've learned something. I know I have. The Stack Podcast aims to share real journeys and lessons that empower you and the entire community. Together, we aim to unlock new perspectives and overcome challenges in the ever-evolving landscape of modern data. Today's episode was brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest releases. More importantly, if you believe this episode could benefit someone you know, please share it with them. We're always on the lookout for new guests who have inspiring stories and valuable lessons to share with our community. If you or someone you know fits that bill, please don't hesitate to reach out. I've been Harry Gollop from Cognify, your host and guide on this data-driven journey. Until next time, over and out. Over and out.